0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: He hung on a cross for six hours. He lay in a tomb for three days, but he'll sit on his throne forever.
0: When you think of Jesus, what do you think of? If you're like most of us, you probably think of him as the God-man who came to pay our sin debt. We can see Him hanging on the cross, suffering for our sins. That's certainly not an incorrect view of Jesus, but
1: is it a complete
0: view of Jesus?
1: That certainly is not an incorrect image of Jesus, but neither is it a complete image. Because, ladies and gentlemen, He'll come to judge. I'm
0: Rick Freeman. Hello again and welcome to this week's Crosswalk. Today, we come to the end of our series entitled 2012, The Days After Tomorrow. It's a study from Matthew chapters 24 and 25 where Jesus is teaching on the end times. As we'll hear Pastor Clay say today, to remember that Jesus walked humbly on this earth and allowed men to mistreat him and hang him on a cross is not wrong, but we also have to remember that he's coming back and this time he's coming as king and judge.
1: When he comes, he will come as the perfect judge. No one will say, well, I I didn't, somebody misunderstood me or, 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 or somebody was mistaken about this or that in my life. No, none of that will go on, ladies and gentlemen, when he comes.
0: Judgment is something that we discussed a good bit over the last few weeks, but today's message brings us face-to-face with what is known as the judgment of the sheep and the goats. God is going to separate those who are His from those who are not, and Jesus makes it clear that they have two very different destinations.
1: These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life.
0: Now, here's Pastor Clay with this week's message.
1: This is the, the last week of this this series that we've been in, uh, 2012, The Days After Tomorrow, uh, uh, a series based on Jesus' teachings about the end times. This is specifically what Jesus is teaching on. Found in what is known as, and you, if you've been coming every week, you certainly ought to know this now, this particular section or pericope of of scripture is known as the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, where Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and say, tell us when are these things going to occur, what are some signs of the end times and of your coming? And Jesus basically says, well, sit down here, boys, let me tell you about it. And he begins to teach, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, that's where we have been for these last few weeks. Several weeks, actually. Today, we come to the conclusion to the latter part of chapter 25. We have looked at signs, and Jesus does give some signs. We've looked at those, some of those signs that he gives. Uh, signs like uh, spiritual upheaval. Things like false Christs. That, that you we will see a manifestation or appearance of, of people who will claim they may or may not, there may or may not be those nut jobs that say, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm come, I've come back. But just, I think the whole idea of people claiming that they have the answer, that they are the way, that they're, that come follow me or come follow my following or come, false Christ. That's kind of some, some of the spiritual upheaval that we can expect in the end times. And, and then also just the general spirit of, uh, of rebellion in the world that will exist as we move towards the end times. And Jesus reminded us. He said oh, you can look back. If you're curious to what that, you think that will look like. All you got to do is look back to the book of Genesis. Look at how it was in the days of Noah. Prior to the flood. And when you, when you read about how people were acting then. He says that's what you can expect to see towards the end times. Just this general spirit of rebellion. This atmosphere of rebellion against God. Jesus also mentioned that there would be uh, some natural disasters. Things like... Uh, Earthquakes and, and famines. He also mentions some man-made disasters, wars, and he says even the rumors of war, just the people talking about the possibility or maybe they're going to go to, go to war, that all of those things would kind of be, they would be present in the end times. Now, as I've said earlier, uh, we... It, we can, we can look at those things and we can say, well, there have always been those things. There have always been earthquakes. There have always been famines. There have always been wars and rumors of wars. There have always been a, a rebellious spirit towards the things of God. And, and I believe that that's absolutely true. But I also believe that Jesus is indicating in this teaching in the very fact that he brings those things up. And if you were here, you may remember that I said this. There'd be no reason for Jesus to bring those things up if they didn't have some connection to the end times since we have always had them. I believe what Jesus is implicating is that there will be an increase in either the, the frequency or the severity of these things, or that at the very least there will be an increase in our knowledge of those things. And that we certainly can look at and say, wow, we certainly are aware five minutes after it happens when a tsunami hits Japan or when this happens or, or that happens. Now... While I certainly would, would uh, be hesitant to name a date because Jesus makes it clear that no one can know the day or the hour, the time of his return of, of these end time events. We can, however, look at our uh, world around us and look at those events and, and at least begin to think, you know what, we may very well be in the last days. Before the return of the king. Based on what Jesus teaches. And based on what we see in our world around us. Not naming a date. Not giving a time. But we may very well be in the last days. Before the return of the king. Jesus deals with some of those things. But then he really spends the bulk of his teaching. The rest of chapter 24. And and virtually all of chapter 25. Bringing us to what really matters. And that is not so much when it will be but if we're going to be ready for when it will be. This whole idea that I've been saying several times throughout the series, to live ready. Because best I can tell, the only way to be ready, if we can't know when it will be, the only way to be ready is to simply live ready. I mean, is that... I'm not overstretching there, am I? If I want to be ready when He, when he returns, if I want to be ready when, this, when I, be ready when the end comes, and I don't know when that can be, the only way to be ready is to live ready. That's not rocket science. And so... That's what Jesus seems to spend the bulk of his time talking about. Living ready. Being in this state of readiness. Today, we come to the last part of what Jesus has to say. And while there is still talk about the king, there is kind of a, a change and a reference to now a judge coming. If your image of Jesus... You know, when you think okay, somebody says the name Jesus, and your your image of Jesus is this one who who came humbly, this one who was abused, this one who who was was crucified for our sins, and we'll talk some about that this morning. This one who came to do all that, if that is your image of Jesus, that certainly is not an incorrect image of Jesus, but neither is it a complete image of Jesus. Because, ladies and gentlemen, he'll come to judge. Matthew chapter 25, beginning this morning in verse 31. If you have your Bible, please turn there. You can also find the text up on the screen. Matthew chapter 25, let's start in verse 31 to the end of the chapter. Listen to these rather sobering words. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. In verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life, sobering. Powerful words. I want to talk to you briefly this morning about the deserving judge. About the one who is deserving to be judge. In verse 31 it says this, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. This is... um, and I think I mentioned this last week or in the last couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken, I said this, that this phrase, the Son of Man, this title, the Son of Man, was one of Jesus, if not his favorite reference to himself. If I count it correctly, 31 times in the book of Matthew alone, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Seven times just in the Olivet Discourse. Son of Man. Certainly that name when, when we hear that name, I think it implies to us; it speaks to us about his humanity. God the Son, this, this mystery of the of the triune God, God the Son, coequal with God the Father, coequal with God the Spirit, e- existing from eternity, took on flesh and became a man, a man who would who would know hunger, a man who would know pain, a man who would know suffering and heartache, a man who would know all of those things. Now. We, we will get to the, the cross and the empty tomb in a couple of weeks. But here in verse 31, we see this Son of Man coming now in His glory. Coming in all of His glory, coming in all of His majesty, coming with all of His, His uh, heavenly hosts to sit on His throne and to rule and to reign. It's a very different image than what we've seen in the Gospels prior to this of Jesus. And he is deserving of this. Listen, the first time he came, he came meekly. He came mildly. He he let men abuse him and, and spit on him and nail him to a cross. Because the first time he came, he came to redeem his creation. That's why he came, to redeem us. You see, there was a sin debt that no one on earth was qualified to pay. No one, no matter how good they thought they were. ...was qualified to make this payment. It required a perfect sacrifice, which I'll talk more about in a moment. And so Jesus came and willingly laid down his life for the sheep. John chapter 10 verse 15 says this... ...even as the Father knows me and I know the Father... ...and I lay down my life for the sheep. He came to redeem his creation. But here in verse 31, we see a different side... Of Jesus. While we still see some king imagery, it's still there, but also we see him coming as a judge. And this time he's coming to reclaim his creation. The first time to redeem, the second time to reclaim his creation. It's his, and he's come to reclaim it. Listen, he hung on a cross for six hours, he lay in a tomb for three days, but he'll sit on his throne forever. He is coming, and he's coming as judge. Now, let me tell you real quickly why he has the right. Because I know we live in a culture, we live in an age where nobody thinks that anybody has the right to judge. Let me tell you why I think he has the right to judge. He has the right to judge by creation. It is, as I said, his creation. John chapter 1, we find this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It is his creation. He is owner of it, and therefore he has the right to determine what he does with his creation. And that makes him the judge. He has right by creation. He also has right by redemption. I mentioned that a moment ago. But he came to redeem us. To pay a bill that you and I could not pay. He, in essence, bought his creation back from the sin curse. This is the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. For you have been bought with a price. Did you know that? If you're here, you've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you understand what he paid for you? That's why you can't treat it flippantly. That's why you can't live your life. just. I don't care. I'll live my life any way I want. No, you can't. You have to glorify God in your body because he has purchased you. He has the right to judge by redemption, and he has the right to judge by perfection. He is the perfect judge. Look at this passage, Second uh, Corinthians chapter five. "He made him who knew no sin. never did he sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God." Judges, men and, and women who serve as judges in this world, no matter how honorable or how honest, are still imperfect. They can still make mistakes. We hope that they, that they examine the evidence fairly. We hope that they, that they are honorable in their decisions, but they are, it is still possible for them to allow their, their personal preferences or their backgrounds or whatever else to influence their decisions. Nobody has to worry about that with this judge. When he comes, he will come as the perfect judge no one will say, well, I, I, I didn't, somebody misunderstood me or, 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 or somebody was mistaken about this or that in my life. No, none of that will go on, ladies and gentlemen, when he comes. He is the deserving judge. He is the one who has the right to judge. Now, real quickly, let me talk to you just a little bit more about the deserving judgment. And it really takes up the rest of chapter 25. We're not going to read it all again. We don't really have time for it, but let's talk about this deserving judgment a couple of questions need to be answered. First, who is being judged here? This whole sheep and the goats analogy that Jesus makes, who is it being judged here? Well, there has been a lot of, a lot of ideas thrown around. It could be this, it could be these people, it could be that. Um, the truth is, nobody knows for certain exactly who this is being judged. My best educated guess is that these people that are being judged are the people who are still alive at the end of time, at the end of tribulation period. These are the people that come through that tribulation period and will stand before God. They'll be judged at that point. Now, I should say, technically speaking, they're not really being judged here. And and that's important to say because a lot of people have this idea that uh, that's how it's going to be. When they stand before their maker someday, when they stand before the Lord... Their good deeds are going to be weighed against their bad deeds. And, um, and if their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, and of course they will, right? Everybody, in the end, knows that, well, I've done a few things that you know God wouldn't be pleased with and all that stuff. But I'm really, a, I'm a good person. I try and do the right thing. So it's amazing how in everybody's mind, they, they seem to think that in the end, their good deeds will outweigh their uh, bad deeds. That, that's, that's how it's all going to work itself out. That is, ladies and gentlemen, the way the vast majority of religions of the world operate. If you do enough good, you're in. If you do enough out, uh, do enough bad, you're out. And that's, that's just the way it is. That is what is sometimes referred to as a works salvation model or a be good enough to get in model. Well, there are a couple, couple of problems with the works salvation model. Okay, can I give those to you? Real quickly, a couple of problems with work salvation model. Because you may be here thinking, oh my goodness, that's all my life. That's, that's what I've heard. And by the way, this very passage of Scripture has been misused to teach that, that false doctrine. That, okay, with the good and the bad, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He's weighing out the good and the, the bad and all that kind of stuff. A couple of problems with the work salvation model. Number one, it doesn't work. Now, it may sound kind of ironic to say that the work salvation model doesn't work, but, but it, just, it just doesn't. Let me give you an old but effective illustration. Suppose I had a job at IHOP in the kitchen, and suppose you come in and you order one of their super fantastic fabulous omelets. Um, Let's say, uh, for uh, argument's sake, that it's a six-egg omelet. Is that a lot? That's a big omelet. Okay, I don't. don't. Clearly, I would never get a job in IHOP's kitchen. but let's say it's a six-egg six omelet, and I've received the order back there, six-egg omelet, western style, all that stuff, whatever goes in there. Um, so I start, I start cracking the eggs, right? One egg, put it in, two eggs, crack it in, three eggs, crack it in, four eggs, crack it in, five eggs, crack it in. Let's say I get to the sixth egg, and let's say that the sixth egg is rotten. Anybody ever smelled a rotten egg? Let, let's say the sixth egg is rotten. Well... Being a good employee, being conscious of the corporate bottom line to make a profit, and rationalizing in my head that, well, I put five good ones in, so surely the five good ones will, will cancel out the one bad one. And so I go ahead and put in the sixth egg, the rotten egg, mix it all together, create an omelet, and ring the bell, ding, order up. Now, who would like to eat that omelet? No? No takers? Why? because you know that omelet is no good right you know that omelet is tainted you know that the five good do not cancel out the one bad in fact the one bad taints or ruins the other five good do you see where i'm going with this so it is with our good works It doesn't matter how many. You can do five times the good works to bad. You can do as many good works as you want. But it doesn't change the fact, ladies and gentlemen, that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We've all sinned. And nothing will ever change that fact. We've sinned. As the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as it says in 623a, that the wages or the cost or the penalty of that sin is death. It, It just doesn't work. It doesn't matter how much good you do, you're never going to pay this bill off. Now, here's the second problem with the, with the works uh, salvation model. Uh, not only does it not work, but secondly, it doesn't match God's word. Now, I could have just, just skipped the whole egg thing, but I, I really wanted to give you kind of a practical visual that you could see why it, it doesn't work. But, but this is the bottom line, folks. This is the bottom line. With your life, with my life, with the decisions we make... What does God's word say? Because if it doesn't line up with this, I don't care what you think, I don't care how you feel, I don't care what you, what does God's word say? And the truth is, work salvation just doesn't line up with God's word. As a matter of fact, God's word says that even the works that we do trying to be good, that if we're doing them in an attempt to get in good with God, that those very works become bad. Did you know that? The very things that you think you're doing to be good and gain God's approval actually in the sight of God are bad. Here's the way the prophet Isaiah puts it. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean. We're all sinners. Watch this. And all our righteous deeds, those things that we do, they are like... What is that next statement there? Say it. Filthy garments. Very strong word in the Hebrew phrase are like a filthy garment and all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. God's word says, you think you're doing good? Talk to the hand because that's not, that don't fly. Of course, probably the the text that most people know about this whole idea. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. I'm hurrying through this. I know I'm talking fast. Hopefully you're listening fast. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of, what's that word? Works. Not as a result of works, so that none of you, me, none of us can stand before God and take credit for it. Oh, yeah, God, yeah, I, I know, I helped that, that elderly lady across the street. No, don't mention it, no problem. Yeah, I know, I, I gave that big fat check to the church, it was nothing, don't mention it. No. No, God says that, that, that won't do it. That won't do it. So it doesn't, it doesn't work and it doesn't match God's word. So still we're back at the question, how are they judged? Which was the second question if I didn't mention it. How is it that they are judged? Well, technically, as I said a moment ago, they're not really being judged here. I mean, if you, if you look at it, really, they've already been judged. Jesus is just kind of separating them at this point. They've already been judged. And ladies and gentlemen, the truth is, I know i got to hurry, but the truth is they're being judged the same way any of us have ever been judged. And that is our faith. It's, it's always been about faith. It is their faith that determines whether they are sheep or they are goats. Do you know how I know that? There's that statement in there where Jesus, the common denominator, when he's naming all these things that they did, the common denominator in all of it is Jesus Me, you did it for me, you clothed me, you fed me, you gave me something to drink. He is the common denominator in all of this. And you say, well, see there, that proves it. They're doing it by their works. They did all these things for him, and so God approves of them, and he says, yep, you get to be on my right, you get to go in. No, that's not the case. You know how I know that? Ask me how I know that. Verse 37 through 39. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Do you see? They don't even know what it is they've done. They, they, don't, they haven't even made the connection that what they were doing was in the name of Jesus. In, in other words, it's not about them trying to impress God. If they were trying to impress God, you know, what, oh, oh yeah, Lord. Yeah, we did those things right on. But they don't even know it. they like, Lord, Lord when do we do? In other words, what they did simply was the outflow of their lives. It was simply a result of what God had done in their lives that caused them to want to do this for the honor and glory of God. Back to Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are His workmanship, watch this, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand so that we would walk in them. Do you see? It was their faith. It was this work that God did in their hearts and lives that drew them to him. They responded to that. God did a work in their life, And so they just, they, that's, that's who they are. That's what they want to do. They want to serve. They want to minister. They want to feed. and They want to do the things in his name, the things that bring honor and glory to him. Now, real quickly, contrast that with the, the goats. Lord! When, when did we see you thirsty? When did we see you hungry? Lord, did we see Let me paraphrase for you. Well, Lord, if we'd have known that it was for you, we'd, we'd, have, we'd have been there. We'd have done that. You see, that's a person that's trying to work their way in. That's a person that's trying to be good. Oh, Lord, if we'd have known it was, that it was for you, of course we'd have done it. No heart change. No desire in their lives to bring honor and glory to God simply because they want to. Okay. Got to go. Here's what I want to say. Uh, close all this up. The people at the end, in verse 46, we get to verse 46, uh, the sheep and the goats have one thing in common and one contrast. The one thing that they have in common is that word eternal. Ionion in the Greek. It's the exact same word that's used for both of them. And it's not complicated, folks. It means eternal. It means forever. It means time without end. Both of them are going into eternity, so no nonsense about annihilationism. We talked about that a while back. That you, when you go, when you die, if you're not, you know, you just, you just die, and that's the end. No. The common, what they have in common is that they're both going out into eternity. What the contrast is, is that one is going into eternal punishment and one is going into eternal life. And that is a very sharp and distinct contrast, ladies and gentlemen. And notice, not a lot of commentary from Jesus about that statement, is there? And if you think about it, it's really not a lot of commentary that needs to be made, is there? And, and, and I'll just be honest this breaks my heart. That there are people rushing headlong in that direction, in that destination. Many of them thinking, well, I'm just going to be good enough. I, it's, it's, going to, it's going to be enough. It's going to get in. And they're going to find themselves on the wrong side. Okay. This is the conclusion of Jesus' teaching on the end times. This is, this is what it all comes down to. And if I can encapsulate it here in 30 seconds and say it. He's saying to us, in, in all of this, he's saying, listen... Forget about the signs. And I don't mean forget about it like... But he's saying don't, don't get caught up in the signs. Don't get consumed by the signs. Don't worry so much about the signs. Live ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? I have asked that virtually every week in this series. Are you ready? The only way to be ready is to begin with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That starts with a recognition of my sin and a need for a Savior. And by faith, believing that he died for my sins and I surrender my life to him. See, it's not about praying a little prayer and then just going off and living my life any way I want to and having Jesus in my back pocket like some sort of fire insurance policy. No, it is full and complete and unconditional surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what salvation is, ladies and gentlemen. It's giving him your life so that he might give to you eternal life. Are you
0: ready. Thanks, Pastor. Jesus certainly deserves to serve as judge. A lot of people today don't think that anybody has the right to judge. But as Pastor Clay explained today, Jesus has the right for several different reasons. His judgment will be fair and just, and his decision is final. So as Pastor Clay has asked several times in the series, are you ready? Knowing that your sins are forgiven and that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith is the most important decision anyone will ever make. We've learned in this study that none of us can know for sure when the end will come. We can look for signs and speculate about how close we are to the end, but the most important thing we can do is live ready. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread,
1: but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed, I want to lead you to the cross.